Um, thank you so much for that beautiful welcome. And I'm so grateful to the IMA for hosting this launch on such a great day, following on from Dale Harding, who was amazing, by the way, beautiful exhibitions on. And uh, it's just so nice to see such a lovely home crowd, all these people that I know, and I'm so grateful to you for um, your support. Pretty happy with this issue, got to say. It's a bit fab. And at this point, I just want to remind you that you can all pick up a copy because they're free. So do take one home today, but also you can subscribe today and you can see Phoebe over there and she'll subscribe you to the magazine. So I'm putting my family to work, everybody. Um, so it is my very great pleasure to introduce my guest today. I have here Naomi Evans, who is curator, Griffith University Art Museum. Uh, sorry, my gosh, that's right, you're at Griffith University at Queensland College of Art and Professor Sue Bess from Queensland College of Art, Griffith University. So would you please put your hands together for them? <laughs> <laughs> so our topic today is really in conjunction with the fabulous exhibition that Sue has curated, um, Ana Mendieta, which is, if you haven't had the chance to see, you can see after we speak. But when we, we were putting together this issue, one of the things we've been trying really hard to do with the magazine is to think not just about who's coming up, who's great, who's hot, what's interesting. But we try to really think very inclusively and look to the past as well and to look at the practitioners who've come before. And, of course, it was so fortuitous because I'd been thinking about Anna Mendieta and the show popped up on the radar at the IMA and I thought, how amazing is that? It's an incredible confluence. But, of course... It's also not, because we're at this time in uh, juncture in contemporary history where we are collectively having a reassessment of our past. And I would say that's across film, music, art, just almost every facet of our life. And someone like Anna Mendieta is, who is incredibly well known to perhaps past generations, but maybe not so much to a younger generation emerging. And in a minute I'll ask Sue about why she chose to curate that. I think there's a lot of things that are interesting quite now, right now in contemporary culture, and one thing that uh, caught my attention this week is that the Museum of Modern Art, if you weren't aware, is actually shutting for renovations over the summer, which would really strike fear into the heart of any director, <laughs> because you can imagine uh, shutting an entire institution. This is very significant for that institution because they're going to completely redo the way they show art on every single level in the museum. So I'm assuming many of you have actually been there. And it involves a complete rereading and a reassessment of the entire history of 20th century art and into the future. Massive commitment on the part of MoMA. And very interestingly, they are also, one of the things they're doing is really looking at this wider diaspora. So it's this conversation that we are having around the world, which I find amazing and exciting. And it's something that, that as a magazine, we're trying to do as well, is to think about this larger diaspora. And so MoMA is talking about how they are looking to do that and to give more emphasis to Latin American artists who've never had the recognition before in MoMA, um, just to look at that whole region. But also they're looking at women artists and women artists who have, are in the collection but have never really been given any weight or, or shown in any kind of depth so I thought that was very interesting. You can go to the New York Times and read that article, actually, because in a way the pressure's really going to be on them now when they reopen to, to be saying something new and something different. So it involves a complete reassessment of how we think about this progression of the history of art, I guess. So let's come to you, Sue, and what brought you to um, Anna Mendieta? And I might just say, 
it is a, you know, she is the late Anna Mandieta, so an incredible artist, feminist artist, and her, you would have had to deal with her estate, which I think was quite a, a tricky thing in itself. So can you tell us a little bit about how you came to this project? Um, I'd already worked on Anna Mendieta in a, my first book, which dealt with four women artists from the 60s and 70s, and my argument about them was that they introduced feeling to that very dry language of minimalism and conceptualism. So that's uh, when Johan and Aileen said, think about a show to compliment Dale, um, I, I went to Anna Mendieta mm as an artist, obviously, that I know well, and I've dealt with the estate, mm. so they weren't problematic. I mean, I think you get, they, you go through steps and then mm -hmm. you're okay <laughs> with the estate. <laughs> uh, and it was, I, mean, I was kind of interested how people have started thinking about women as their influences instead of men. Mm -hmm. I mean, the traditional thing is lineage, man, male art, you know, male artist, male artist, and so it is, she has some of the same concerns as Dale. Mm. Uh, obviously, she had a feminist concern about uh, territory, her connection to the land, uh, and he has that same issue. The whole thing of the silhouette and his stencil are an interesting kind. So on a formal level, there are resonances on, she was an early advocate of Indigenous knowledge in a way that, you know, that's only really become, certainly in an academic circle, something in the last decade or so. It's really been taken seriously as a distinct and important way to think mm -hmm. about knowledge. So, and she's a refugee. So there's a sort of, she sort of resonates in all sorts of ways. Some resonates with Dale, some doesn't. Mm -hmm. but. My interest in her initially was how she cut across the language of the 60s and 70s, because I was interested in how do you advocate for women artists in a way that changes the way the history's written. I don't want to just shove the women back into the story, yeah, I yeah. want to change the story. So the first book I wrote was saying these women mm -hmm. actually introduced emotion into what's supposed to be, to use Sol Lewitt's expression, the emotionally dry language of the 60s and 70s. So it's kind of trying to, to not just add them, change the story altogether. Mm. That was my kind of interest. Yeah. And that's a good point you make about um, when we look at this history and when we're being retrospective, it is important that we don't just slot people in, isn't it? And it's all about context and how we understand something. And interestingly, that work by Anna Mandietta is so fresh. Like, you, mm. you see it and you think, my gosh, I mean, it could have been made now, really. And yet the issues are still the same. And isn't that interesting, in a way, these things that still resonate? Mm. Yeah, indeed. And I think they resonate with a lot of younger women artists still. Mm. So I was thinking, uh, I mean, I've been thinking a lot. In the next issue coming up, we've got something of a response to... Linda Nochlin's fa famous observation in 1971, why are there no great female artists? Which was a provocation, but also a, a statement about, you know, there are no great female artists in, in museums and galleries. They were not being represented in 1971. And, you know, she wrote extensively on the subject and curated it. And I'm wondering now, it's 2019, are we in the same position that we were in 1971? <laughs> Would you like to re respond to that, Naomi? <laughs> Well, it's funny that you mentioned Linda Nochlin. Uh, 
an exhibition I've curated at Griffith University Art Museum recently was called Dark Rooms, Women Directing the Lens. And I looked at a 20-year period, looking at our collection of uh, women who um, were working with the filmic medium um, and photography in, in particular. And I invited uh, local academic and artist, Dr Victoria Lawson, to... Um, to add to that exhibition by uh, allowing us to read Linda Nochlin's text from 1971, Why There No Great Women Artists, mm. through to um, one written uh, some 20 years later. And it was a really fantastic exercise for all of us to read this classic text because we came to the <laughs> point that we're still in a position of uh, artists, academics, curators, writers and human beings where we need to do this work still. Mm. And some of that is incredibly frustrating and rage-producing. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, you can throw your hands up in the air, but we can't, we can't accept inertia, can we? So what are we to do? Um, one of the really great points that came out of that talk was that the whole definition... You know, we, we asked the question, had that text aged? Yeah. And perhaps we thought it had. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is not that we don't have great women artists or people aren't doing that kind of work, but the definitions of what great means must change. So the definitions of great are you have a leadership position, you have a child, you can manage this mm. fairly effectively should you have the right amount of support. Um, the issues are of poverty, mm -hmm. of racism. You know, some of these issues about being great are a talking from a very particular kind of feminism um, that I think we need to constantly educate ourselves about. So, mm. anyway, I think we still need to do that work and it is somewhat frustrating. Let's I, do it. No, what, what do you think, Sue? I mean, I was rereading that essay too and I was thinking, gosh, it's like... I remember reading that as a younger woman and think, feeling such a sense of rage then and reading it again in preparation for this, I thought, God, I still feel really annoyed. Like, this is really annoying. What do, what do you think? Well, I guess when she wrote it, what is it, 73 or 72? 71. 71. Yeah. Um, that was the beginning of that recovery of a lot of women that we didn't even know in terms of the... Like, I can always remember giving a lecture to students about that, is it art, Gardner, what Gardner's art through the ages or mm -hmm. something? There wasn't a single woman artist. There was a whole lot of books. What's the... Is it Gombrich? That oh, they Gombrich. Yeah, it's Gombrich, Not yeah. a single woman artist. So when... So at that point, there wasn't, mm. there just wasn't the um, coverage of women. Mm. So I guess, you know, you'd have to say things have changed now. There's no way you could have a history of the 20th century that didn't include women. Mm. So that's progress, certainly. Mm. I think the thing about the greatness is often it was about... I mean, this is what I've argued anyway. It was about formal innovation, mm -hmm. which was how they set up men as the, you know, the innovative ones and women as not innovative. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of like women as followers. Mm -hmm. So you can leave Bert Morisot out of the history. <laughs> you can leave Mary Cassatt out of the history of Impressionism. This is where, yeah, you change mm -hmm. the way mm -hmm. the greatness is understood, which is what I've tried to do in all the works I've done, I've always tried to say, okay, this is how women are different. In the 60s and 70s, they were dealing with emotion. I just did a book on photography where I'm saying these women are actually taking a reparative approach to shameful issues. So I think the thing as, feminist, as a feminist art story in my job mm. is to keep banging away <laughs> at how greatness is defined, to say, okay, you're not seeing how women are doing things differently 
And that's how you break down the greatness that mm. excludes women. That's my mm. feeling. Because in a way, Nochlin, yeah, she, at the time she was writing that, she was looking at the historical conditions that made it difficult for women mm -hmm. to excel. She wasn't actually looking at, okay, well, how do I account for the different women that were mm. actually practising alongside men? I guess that's the way to think about it, that we ha need to develop a language of what women are doing. Mm. That's mm. my feeling, to change the dialogue. Mm. And that, that's interesting too, that idea of a language and what it might be in 2019 as compared to... So this mm. is a bit of a tricky question, but I was talking to some um, friends of mine about gay identity politics and they were talking about how for them, their observation was that a younger generation of gay um, and queer um, LGBT didn't really have a handle on the past and I thought this is really interesting observation and they had said that they struggled sometimes in conversation because the younger people they were dealing with just had no concept of AIDS at all like it had not it didn't factor for them so they had couldn't understand or rather were dismissive of the cost of that time and, and how that had transpired. And I was so struck by that. I thought, my gosh, isn't that interesting? You know, we're having this very valid and, and powerful debate right now about feminism and the return of feminism, proto-feminism and all these things. And yet they're having this completely separate conversation about, now you can't forget what, what came before and that people before you who did things way before you were a queer artist uh, making those things and you need to understand your history. So I was just wondering, this is kind of a big question, but... Naomi at Griffith at, at Queensland College of Art, how do you find students respond to this kind of history of feminism? Do you find it's a they are interested in engaging and adopting, or is it a kind of a rejection? Or I'm just curious. Well, you know, I can't speak for the very diverse cohort, but what I guess I have um, seen, and I think it's been quite fantastic is um, that I mean there's a group called the Queer College of Art mm -hmm. um, which I was privileged to be invited to you know to be to speak with um, and I guess the understanding of feminisms or your role in society is more about issues of self-representation so if that's the kind of discourse where we can talk to each other about what is it to understand your back history your level of education um, and how you might represent what you stand for Maybe if that's what's in circulation, that's still really valuable because at some point you'll start to go back to the, the histories or the methodologies that inform mm. that. Um, so I think it's still very valuable and I'm seeing that, in fact, feminisms are spoken about mm. and are understood, but they're spoken of as types of feminism. Okay, that's interesting. So it's not that there's just one overarching feminism. Mm -hmm. There are diverse or let's talk about the kinds of feminism. So one of the, you know, I've recently become aware of um, ideas by Angela Davis, who's an extraordinary American activist, author, academic, and she talks about, uh, I guess, prevailing or mainstream feminism, which is, you can define, define it by looking at someone like Hillary Clinton, mm. who's kind of trying to bash at the glass ceiling, when actually people are worrying about the floor caving in. <laughs> you know, it's for a very particular kind mm. of privileged person to talk about wanting to be included or rising to the top. And this is why I mentioned poverty before, mm. you know. Um, anyway, feminisms can be understood as plural. Mm. And when we start to figure where do I sit within one of those, you can maybe try to choose a path. And I guess that's what I try to do in, mm. in work, trying to keep those 
keep those kind of multiplicities open mm. um, and to be inclusive, as you mentioned, mm. the real project um, is today. Mm. Yeah. But I see that through the students and it's profound and I find it, I'm totally inspired by them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Sue, do you feel a similar thing that like younger artists are coming through with like a handle on on what's come before them? Um, yeah, I, I get a sense that most of them, I mean, as someone who teaches art theory or has done in an art school, I'm always the bit they don't want to do. <laughs> so I've been, in that, I've been in your position. <laughs> so I, so, yeah, I'm the horror trying to say, you really should know about Felix Gonzalez-Torres. He's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> or um, as the librarian used to say to me when I worked at UNSW, you're not showing them those black and white films again, <laughs> are you? Showing them Martha Rossler's Semiotics of the Kitchen or whatever. <laughs> but I di I've always found students incredibly receptive, mm. um, I have to say, and all the... Um, mm. that they are, if you teach in, a, and I have always taught in art schools, if you teach in a way that engages what, um, and gets them mm. debating, mm. which, yeah, I used to do a course called Art, Gender, Sexuality and the Body that had a whole lot of um, work that the students found confronting, mm. so I'd do sort of masochistic practices and they'd be affronted. <laughs> Horrified. <and laughs> So, yeah, that thing of just getting, engaging them. Mm. And, and the issues, they, they're, yeah, they're, they, mm. I think they get into um, very much so. I mean, yeah. So I've always found students, um, yeah, initially reluctant. Like, yes. Oh, we have to read and write. <laughs> uh, but ultimately quite interested. It's interesting. Part of that question was to do with the forgetting, yes. which is an action, isn't it? It is, um, yeah. And part of the problem is that most people start off with a level of ignorance, mm. and we all do. Mm. Mm. We continue to be. Mm. And it takes great effort to mm -hmm. kind of constantly realise, like, take your blinkers off, where am I blind today? Yeah. And you can't forget something you don't know. Mm. So I think we need to have a bit of kindness towards mm. people who are still learning, and as mm. we all are still learning. But together, if we recognise there are communities mm. of thought, and um, you can just show up and be part of it. Mm. <laughs> Perhaps that's um, a way to, you know, learn from pe people with more experience, mm. learn from your elders. Mm. Um, that's a different kind of transmission of knowledge that's oral or social, mm. as well as just through text and, and through an institution that we're associated mm. with. And so that beautiful passage of time, like when we published this story on, on, on Anna Mendieta, so many people have written to me and said, oh my God, I'm such a fan, this is amazing. And it, I think there's that lovely thing where it's the last thing someone expects to see in a magazine in 2019, but it's so lovely because it couldn't be more current, could it? You know, like it's so current. So I can't not ask you this question. What do we make of Me Too and the art world? So we actually just ran a story in one of the two issues past, which was about what do we do with contentious works of art post um, Me Too, <laughs> which is a huge topic. But in fact, it, we need to have it because it kind of is every artwork in the entire, you know, every artwork that you might go and admire has, is tainted is the wrong word, but we, there's a different lens. So I'm just curious. I know that's a big question, but I feel... Um, I was sort of surprised. A lot of things came out of Me Too, obviously around film and literature and many, many art forms. And a lot came out from the contemporary art world. And then it kind of just stopped for a little while. And I'm just curious what you have made of, of those responses from artists. <laughs> it's, it's a big topic. It is. 
You have a shot. Have a shot, Sue. Well, I, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, so one of my ex-students was one of the people caught up in it, intriguingly, mm. in New York. And I thought, oh, God, oh, yeah, he always was a strange guy. OK. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess we're at a moment, well, let's hope that it changes the way people behave. Mm. But... Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I went to a talk at UQ this week about a journalist talking about um, Gaddafi's harem. Mm. And I was intrigued. She said, uh, so she's written a book about it, and then it turns out Saddam Hussein also had incredibly perverse sexual practices. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. Who knew? And... I thought, and she was talking to a male colleague, she's a French journalist, and she said, he said, oh yes, I knew all that, I didn't report it. <laughs> and she said, why are these things not reported? Why is it seen that a, someone's treatment of women is somehow or other not an issue? Like, how has that, how is it that it's taken so long to mm. get to Me Too, mm. is I guess what is curious. Mm. And obviously it would be wherever there's power. Yes. It's the art world is just one instance. Um, what, how is that toxic masculinity survives because people don't speak out? Mm. But it was just interesting at the level of Gaddafi and Saddam Hussein <laughs> that people didn't report until this French journalist, she's done a book on, he had sex slaves in the basement. Mm. You just think, what? Like, how, what, you know, mm. I just don't, mm. how is this not part of how you report on world leaders? Mm. That they're, they're obviously completely crazy. Mm. Um, so it's, it's kind of, yeah, I'm just hoping all of this stuff comes out, mm. that there is no stone for these guys yeah. to hide under. Yeah. Yeah. That would be my feeling, I don't mm. know. Mm. It's definitely um, a different context that we're existing and, and working in, which is very interesting. And I was so struck by some of the conversations that were coming around artists like Chuck Close or Night Landsman, with whom I had an interesting interaction, which I'll, if you buy me a glass of wine later, I'll tell you about it. Um, so here's the nub of the question. Who are the forget forgotten female artists? If we're really going to think about who they might be and how we might redress that imbalance, who might we single out. Oh, I, I would take note, everyone. <laughs> write it down. Uh, what I might say to that is that uh, we keep forgetting women, mm. and they exist now, and I think we would be complicit with that trying to put things, people back into a spotlight if we were constantly trying to uncover mm. these mm. people, these humans. Um, and I just, I actually think that when we are in positions like we are, sometimes the best thing to do to help those forgotten women, or those invisible women, is to That's a good be term, silent mm. and step out of the way mm. so that other people who know more than us can yep. speak sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I feel like, you know, as much as it's my... Um, profession and my vocation to work in art and with artists, I'm never going to know the details of Arente mm. people or Panjalag or Camilla Roy or, you know, whatever it is. People spend their entire lives researching particular kinds of practice or particular women with particular skill sets. Um, so my best way to help sometimes is to not do that work and let mm. other people speak. Mm -hmm. 
Good point. Good point. What What do you think, Sue? Like, is there someone you would is on your radar, or rather, if that's too big a question, how do we redress it? Because I think we've established that collections aren't just about filling gaps. That doesn't make a brilliant collection, um, and it's also it doesn't do anyone a service just to slot them into history. So, how do we do it the be in the best kind of way? Well, we do. Like, we participate every year at QCA in the world. Wikiathon to like it's a women so we're putting mm -hmm. women because um, there's some terrible percentage of women actually write Wikipedia entries yeah. so every year we last year we did it with you guys <laughs> we and as anybody that like to come it'll be um, the Saturday after International Women's Day at QCA so we try and actually up the Australian women artists oh, in great. Wikipedia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it takes all day to write one, mm -hmm. so it's like a very slow process. So things like that uh, where, you know, um, I mean, I've been on the curatorium for like, some Australian art, like Joan Brazel, who is a Sydney-based artist who had a very belated retrospective. I don't know how you change, I think, I, yeah, I, I really don't know how you change. I mean, there are so many. I mean, when you look at if look just looking at Wikipedia for Australian women artists, it's just intriguing who's not. At one point, um, who was it? It was like Tracy Moffat didn't have one. Yeah, right. But you just think, how can this be that Tracy Moffat doesn't have a Wikipedia? I think she does now, mm -hmm. but. Things like that, where you notice... I mean, all of you could do Wikipedia. And, and they're all going to go home and do all it. All go home I can and tell. register to do Everyone's Wikipedia to do and it. start doing it. Mm. So that's kind of one thing we can all do. Mm. Um, but also, I guess, it is think... Yeah, who would you think, in terms of Australian women artists, has not had... Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question, mm -hmm. who hasn't... Mm. Um, who should have had a retrospective by now and hasn't? Yeah, there are so many. Give Go us on, a few, Naomi, come on. Go on. I'm not <laughs> going to tell you our entire program. <laughs> no, but it is... It, I mean, that's fantastic when yeah. you have um, a whole host of the opportunity to, to make exhibitions. Um, you know, in our, in our building, we have a certain kind of scale. We're able to do kind of artist projects or mini retrospectives really well. But you don't want to take away someone's big chance to have a state museum yes. exhibition. Mm. So, again, just being a little bit self-aware, you know, we can do one kind of project really well... Hmm. Well, you did with Jenny. Jenny and Davida Allen, beautiful Peter show, really like such exhibition. a beautiful show. And mm. I, my first thought was, not that I don't think that's a brilliant museum. I did just think it's interesting, isn't it? it took you guys to do that to throw the light on her, you know, and, and the MC, yeah, the yeah, MCA followed. and the MCA followed. But with Davida, I thought, you know, you're turning the light on this artist who is amazing, and it was brilliant. I thought. Mm. You guys have been doing it. Mm. Well, we're very fortunate to have. I mean, that comes naturally. Is as um, to think about, well, let's say that we identify as feminists, but we also identify as humanists. <laughs> and, um, you know, point. that's got its own problems. But um, you do try to sort of think about, again, as I mentioned before, who am I blind to? Or mm. who can we... We do try to run a debate-centred program. And when there are pressing ideas, that's the work we need to be doing. Mm. Look, um, some, you know, very tragically, my old boss at the MCA... Um, Rachel Kent said something that was very depressing but stuck with me at the time, which is that there's this whole... We're talking about um, a, a body of work by Tyson Manaith, which is all about forgotten women. Mm. And she said, you know, it's so true. You know, there is a whole pile of women who are invisible mm. making work out there. 
and every now and again you're able to draw one up from the scrap heap and give them a show. Mm -hmm. I mean, how ridiculous is that? But it's true. Um, I know, and I was talking to Rana Davenport today, actually, and she was talking about how in your mind, when you're working in the industry, you think, surely that can't be right. Surely that's not right. And she was doing some work with the Gorilla Girls and she, they sent her some statistics and she's like, wow, that is so depressing. Because in your mind, you're thinking, we're doing this great stuff and it's working really well. And then you're like, yeah, maybe not so much. Um, and of course, one of the artists I kept thinking about was Hilma Afklund, who a beautiful Hilma is named after. And the list is endless, isn't it? Just an endless list, um, all of which is depressing, but... <laughs> Positive, well, what is extraordinary is when the work is done, you yeah. have these extraordinary moments of thinking, well, what a watershed moment. Mm. I mean, I went to Melbourne last year and saw the show and turned the corner to see these incredible perme- permeable screens done by Annie Albers. Mm. You know, why didn't we have her as one of our canonical masters? Yeah. You know, it's extraordinary. Mm. So someone had... I mean, the people who are in the collection, maybe the research isn't done, but still, they still made it in there. Someone mm. valued them enough to go to through the hard yards buy it. Mm, to mm. buy that. Um, and, but, you know, so it's, a, it's, it's an extraordinary feeling when people have been valorised, and I use um, uh, Judy Chicago's words we're mm. talking about. It's almost inconceivable to kind of live in a world where, um, you know... Men aren't constantly valorised over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, what happened if that was a woman? It just mm. doesn't happen. It's mm. almost inconceivable to live in that world. Mm. Um, and it's not to say that male artists aren't fabulous as well, but it's just, it's just, it's just <laughs> tipping the scales. Tipping the scales. Sack. Such a good point. Mm. I, at this point, I'd like to ask if anyone has a question. Oh, my God. Hamilton. I did not pay him to ask that question. <laughs> no, and I didn't mean to sit here either. Um, <laughs> I, you were talking about the Me Too movement, and I'm really interested to, from the, the flip side, where male artists are known to abuse women. Mm-hmm. What, what, how do we treat them, living or dead? Because mm-hmm. there seems to be a... You know, we, we know of older artists that have mm-hmm. well-known to have abused women, and they're still regarded as famous artists, mm-hmm. but more contemporary living artists, what do we do with them? I'm just interested mm. to hear your opinion mm. on that. It's tricky, isn't it, so when someone enters the criminal system um, because we have a justice system that's supposed to meet out a certain kind of consequence and if someone has served through a consequence, they're free to live their lives. That's how our society is set up. But can you imagine what it would be like to encounter someone's work when you were the victim mm. through in a museum? I, I think you've raised a really interesting point. It's, it's, it's contentious, isn't it? I mean, if, if we think about film by, by greatest great filmmakers, I'm thinking of the famous French one, I can't think of it now. Uh, yeah, Polanski. And uh, just that idea that I know, you know, Chuck Close has had a lot of attention lately and I thought one of the good strategies, one museum pulled down the entire show, another one curated an exhibition of female artists around the exhibition and I thought that was a really powerful strategy and interesting. And I I sort of was thinking as well about how, you know, I've read Nabokov's Lolita, which I actually enjoyed, you know, and I thought that was an interesting book and if we consider at some point that book was banned and no one could read it and I'm not sure that I want to live in a world where you can't read it, but... What do, you, what do you think, Sue? What's interesting, I mean, thinking obviously of Anna Mendieta, more than likely she was murdered by a Carl Andre. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
there's... This the, is the great story, for those of you who don't know. Don't Can you know. just explain it, Sue? Because it is super interesting and it will change the way you look at the work. Um, he... Uh, they were married, I think it was for only for eight months, uh, and she dies by going, just staying factual for the moment. She's She falls out of the 33rd floor in New York of the, the window. He rings the police. There's a 911 message of him saying she's gone out the window. So it's kind of ambiguous how she got out the window. But she was tiny mm. and she was afraid of heights. If that Would you commit suicide that way? Uh, so every time he has a show, uh, a whole lot of feminists will come out saying, "Where is Anna Mendieta?" Because obviously he is an he he was a very he is a very established minimalist artist, and he was tried twice. Um, I don't think the crime scene was preserved correctly, so there's issues mm. around that. Um, I know people who have said they feel fairly sure he did do it. So he's gotten away more than likely with murder. Mm -hmm. So it's a... And the amazing thing is that if one was to read about the history of Carl Andre, I guarantee you're not going to read that. No. If you read the history of Anna Mendieta, you're going to know you that. You know that. But you just need to know those two things <laughs> to put together, which is not to disparage his work, which is fantastic. fantastic. But it is alarming, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's about, a, about a whole reassessment. I don't know if that answers your question, Hamilton. Well, but yeah, so you, you're, we're still acknowledging his work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're still acknowledging it. Is it in Wikipedia? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, right. Oh, you did? <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Would someone else like to ask a question? Yes. I'll repeat it. So, yeah. Leading back to that question a little bit, when we are looking at artists with these histories and to do with women, um, how... how do you, do you agree with the idea that the art should be separate from the life? Because this is an ongoing debate which I can't get my head around because once I know that information, I find it very difficult to separate that. So I was interested to think, to hear what you mm. think about that. Mm. I think that's a very good question. Is that not just the same of anything, you know, with uh, film or literature or anything? It's a, it's a very interesting point and possibly we're living in a time, an information age where we know so much about people. So much, uh, there's so much visibility that we almost we kind of crave it. There probably was a time when there was an anonymity to being an artist. What do you? It's, it's interesting. I mean, I tend to separate. I mean, as an art historian, I tend to separate off the life from the work. To because I think if you can't make sense of the work without knowing the life, it's not working. So just methodologically, mm. I. But on the other hand, I'm I'm like everyone else, deeply curious about artists' lives. Yeah. The artists that I'm interested in, I want to know how the hell did they, you know, how did they do that? It's that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So I'm fascinated. If I then discovered that they were a complete, yeah, like Carl Andre, whose work I like, I, I'm, yeah, I'm in some weird, strange split where I think, oh, and then I, think mm. so I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you do with that. Um, yeah, I'm not, uh, equally, I'm not wanting to, to ban things. I'm just, I guess I, the fact that every time he has a retrospective, out they come saying, where is Anna Mendieta? Yeah. I'm pleased that that happens. But I don't want him shut down. I don't want his works censored because he's an asshole. I mean, <laughs> I mean, how much of culture would we have left? There'd be if nothing. We didn't let the nothing left. 
Yeah, such a good point. I think we'll take one more question and then I'm conscious that people are standing. So would someone else like to ask a question? Anybody else? No? Oh, yes? Oh, yes. There's a question? on a positive note. That <laughs> we need that. We Would you mind using the microphone? Yeah, thanks. We've had uh, three biennales in Venice with three women, and this year is a woman too. Mm, that's true. So that's Angelica Masiti. So that's in the great. most prestigious, mm. you know. Mm. So we should remember it's that. It's a very, it's a, a super good positive point. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think I mean, it's such a great conversation and we could talk all day, obviously, and I really hope you'll stick around and have a glass of wine and look at the beautiful Anamendieta show. It's really fabulous, Sue. Um, I'm really blown away that so many of you came. Thank you so much. And I do want to just do a bit of a shout-out to the people who are in this fabulous magazine. Um, the, we've got some contributors here, Louise Montchu, uh, Hamish Sawyer, Sam Cranston, whose work is featured, um, Gary Sands and Garth, who are collectors in the issue. Just, it's wonderful. We're, um, we love what we're doing at Vault. We really hope you like it too. We're trying to be a journal that operates across art and culture with an international remit and thinks less about... Uh, history and just about making in general. So I urge you to stick around. Please pick up an issue and also subscribe. And thank you. And I would just like to thank Naomi and Sue so much for coming on a Saturday. Thank you very much. Please put your hands together. <laughs>